Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Stephen, and we're going to be talking about the 1956 film The Searchers, directed by John Ford. But first, let's introduce ourselves, and we have a special guest with us today, our friend Jonathan, a.k.a. JPK. So let's start with him. Uh, JPK, other than The Searchers, is there any movie you've watched lately you want to quickly say something about? Um, Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, uh, I did. I watched that Tina Turner documentary, and um, it was it was very good. It is also very. It can be very difficult to watch just because it's a harrowing story, but it was really well done, and I even learned some things I didn't know, and I already knew some stuff. So yeah, it, I recommend it. It's she's amazing. It's it's hard to believe she went through all that. So Yeah, I've heard that's very good. Um, I haven't seen it myself. Has anybody else seen that one? It's on my uh, list. Yeah, I want to watch it. Okay, so uh, Stephen, what have you watched since the last time we recorded? Um, I watched a bunch of things, but what really boils to mind is um, I saw Godzilla versus King Kong. Um, that was released in 2021 and I actually fell asleep in the middle of it and I had to rewind it and watch it again because it was really boring. I mean, the action was really good, but like there's no story aside from that. And after a while, even the action kind of got repetitive. But um, but if you really like Godzilla or King Kong, it's definitely kind of worth the watch, I guess. It was on Friday. Um, and then the other movie I watched was Soylent Green, which was a 1973 movie with Charlton, Charlton. Heston. And it was a great movie. Unfortunately, I knew the twist, and I'm not going to reveal it in case someone hasn't seen it, but that's what really caused me to see it because I knew what the twist was. But if I didn't, it would have been an even better movie, but it was actually pretty fantastic. And it does take place in the year 2022 in New York. So oh, wow. it's next year. Cool. Next year. The future. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just know that quote that I think spoils the movie. So yeah. I haven't seen it, it so please don't spoil it. But the movie itself is actually really good. It, you know, it's about like natural resources being gone and New York has 40 million people and it's just really dystopian and it's, it's a pretty awful place to live. <laughs> right. But it, it's just really, it's really an interesting movie and it's well acted and I was pleasantly surprised by it. So there you go. I started to watch that Godzilla versus uh, King Kong movie. And I turned it off after like 10 minutes because I was like, I just don't even care. I didn't see the last one. I just like, whatever. Moving on. It's part of a cinematic universe. Apparently, you're supposed to watch the other two or three before. And I didn't know that. Not that I was confused, but still, it was, yeah. okay, I should have watched the King of the Monsters or whatever, the Godzilla yeah. movie. Yeah, I figured, like, do I really need to watch these fucking monster movies to understand two <laughs> monsters fighting? Probably not. But then it was just yes. boring, so I turned it off. And you so. did? Yeah. Wow. You were so lost. No, I didn't even watch it long enough to get lost. I was just like, I don't care. That's how lost you were. Okay. Well, Alicia, what did you see this, this week? So I watched um, this documentary called The Orange Years about Nickelodeon in the 80s and 90s and all of the, like like groundbreaking children's programming that they had on during those years. It was really nostalgic uh, and fun for me to watch because actually one of my cats is named after a Nickelodeon TV show from that era, um, Pete, from the Adventures of Pete and Pete. Um, and then I watched Nomadland. Um, and actually I found some like striking similarities between Nomadland and The Searchers. So that was cool. I, that was a neat, I'm glad I chose this week to do that. Right. And mm -hmm. Laura, how about you? 
Well, since I was in Miami on vacation, I watched Barb and Star go to Vista mm. Del Mar. And, you know, it's just, I loved, my favorite parts were the parts that were like reminiscent of the great Meppa Caper, which were reminiscent of Esther William films. Um, so that was fun. And just the fact that it's, you know, a movie about friendship for two women in their forties was pretty fucking cool. So I'm, I'm just glad it was made. I loved it. And Mia, how about you? Um, I watched Pieces of a Woman, um, which I think is on Netflix. And um, the first like 45 minutes are really good. And then the rest of it is really bad. Um, So, but there's like a really intense giving birth scene is like basically the first third of the movie. And then the rest of it is like dealing with the fallout from that. And there's just it's like there's like scenes missing from it or something that would like string mm-hmm. stuff together. Um, but I thought like the acting overall is good. It's just like the story is not quite there. Um, and then we've also been watching the QAnon documentary on HBO, which I know is not a movie, but has occupied a lot it of counts. our yeah. It's occupied a lot of our movie watching time this week. I That's feel like cool. yeah, it's good. Um, you know, it's definitely dark, but. Back to to Pieces of a Woman, does the title fit? Because I fucking hate the title. No, I don't really know what it has to do. It's like Pieces of a Woman. Yeah. Pieces of a Woman's Heart. It fits, but it's kind (laughs) of lame at the same time. It it doesn't not fit. It's just- Who thought of that title? Yeah. Well, whoever thought of the lame-ass second two-thirds of this movie. Uh, Yeah, I haven't seen Um, it. Yeah. Well, it's worth watching the first half hour. The first half hour is- extraordinary and it's part of the reason that the rest of it just sucks so bad because like next to that it's just complete letdown but it's it's i honestly think it's worth watching the first half hour and then just turning it off as soon as you get like annoyed by it after that (laughs) because it will happen i think yeah um but it it's uh basically a 23 minute after some setup it's a 23 minute one one or shot of uh this this uh Woman giving birth and uh, it's really intense. Yeah, like very well done home birth that doesn't end well, basically. So if you, it was definitely kind of like I don't have any kids, but it was like a lot of friends do and stuff. So it was definitely kind of like traumatizing in some ways watching it and just being like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, it's very very tense. So just for people listening, if like that's not your thing or you think it might be triggering, I would say don't watch it. Yeah. Um, I forgot already too. I also watched The Father, which is like incredible. I'm like embarrassed that I forgot it because it's so good. But I'll let you talk about that because you saw it too. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The Father is very good. I mean, I think it is definitely one of Anthony Hopkins' best performances ever. And you know, he's Anthony Hopkins, so that's kind of saying something, I think. Um, but it's kind of a surprisingly cinematic movie for it just being about not just being about, but for it being about an an older man kind of losing his grip on reality as he suffers from dementia and his daughter and other people kind of dealing with that. It really takes advantage of um, filmmaking to tell the story in a way that, you know, like not every movie that's adapted from a play does. And I I thought it was really, really well done. Um, I also, I'll just mention it real quickly. I, I watched News of the World and it does have sort of some parallels very obliquely to the searchers. Just it's centered around someone who rescues a white girl 
who had been raised by Indians after being kidnapped after her family was slaughtered. So very clear connection there. But it's a very, very different story. It's a Tom Hanks movie, and it's very much a Tom Hanks movie. Mm -hmm. So it does not go into the dark depths of the movie we're about to talk about. Um, So for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where the five of us, or this time the six of us, are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight and Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made that comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out in 2022, so we're basically using that as our excuse to watch some classic movies ahead of it. And we invite listeners to take part in the discussions by watching along and sharing their opinions in our Facebook group by emailing or by leaving a voice message on our anchor.fm show page. And again, this time we're talking about The Searchers, but before we go into the history and background of the movie... What did each of us know about the movie going into this viewing? Who's seen it before? Or what were you expecting, if anything? And JPK, since you picked this one, why don't you start us off and also tell us why you picked it? Okay. Um, I I hadn't seen this movie until, like, I want to say maybe seven years ago. And at the time, I was reading all, all these Jonathan Lethem books. And he has a an essay in one of his books talking about defending the searchers and I was like what what is this about and from what I gathered in the essay this movie had a lot to to defend (laughs) and um (laughs) I uh so then I and then I also read how he one of his earlier novels was like somewhat based around the story of the searchers and I liked the book so I read I was like oh watch I'll watch this. And I remember watching it and being like, I don't know if I hate this. and But I also kind of like, I love, I loved the scenery and, and all that stuff. So like, I guess the reason I, I, I picked it because I'm always curious as to what other people think of this movie. It's, it's like a real barometer in some ways. So gotcha. And Alicia, how about you going into this? Um, I had seen this movie before. It was I watched it pretty early on in the pandemic for the first time. Um, I I don't know why I chose to do that, but I did, and um, I intensely disliked it. Um, so my expectations going in this time were pretty low. But I think that's also it's not necessarily that it's like a bad movie. I think it's just I'm not drawn to westerns as a genre to begin with. And I didn't connect with the movie the first time I saw it. So so that's kind of how I came into it this time. Okay. And Mia? So I had seen this movie probably about five years ago for the first time. And it's funny because I sort of had the opposite of you, Alicia. Like, I mean, I don't want to be like, oh, I loved the movie. But I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. And I thought the story was really interesting. And like, I just, you know, I don't remember everything I felt. But I just remember walking away with like overall like positive feelings about it. And then watching it this time, I felt like this really visceral, like it was hard for me to get through it, like really strong reaction to it. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot since we watched it and like reading a lot of like the defenders and the critics of it. Um, So I can see stuff on both sides. But overall, I feel like I, I left with a very different taste in my mouth than I did the first time. And Steven. 
Um, I saw this movie probably about, I want to say maybe over 30 years ago. Um, my dad was really big into Westerns and he was always saying that this was the best movie he'd ever seen according to Western. And um, I just remember the story um, and it being more of like a, a chase kind of like, like action movie. Um, so I haven't seen it since then and I'm not really a huge fan of Westerns. Um, so I was kind of going into this, not really remembering too much about it other than the catchphrase and you know, some of the other things, but I, I walked Which away is the it. catchphrase? That'll be the that, day. That'll be the day. <laughs> that'll be the day. <laughs> yeah, he said that a couple of times. That song Because my brother and I head. would walk around saying that to each other um, after <laughs> a movie. Uh, yeah, we just say that a lot because of the voice. Um, but yeah, so it was really good to see it again and really look at it in a critical sense this time instead of just letting it wash over me as a child. So, um, so there you go. And Laura? Um, so I went in completely on no idea cold. And the first five minutes of the film, I thought about texting you guys and was like, is this the movie you were supposed to be watching? Because it was just, you know, John Wayne doing a shtick and so offensive, so off the bat. And, and then, you know, I, the, even the first, the first 20 minutes is exactly the same as this movie priest with Paul Bettany from 2011. Um, you know, but it's post-apocalyptic and instead of Indians, it's about, you know, vampires and stuff. But I was just like, is this what we're watching? I don't understand. And, you know, I kept, it was so offensive and yet the film just completely drew me in. And I just, I hate to say that I loved it, but <laughs> I did. <laughs> I hate that I'm that person, <laughs> but it was excellent i thought it was really funny and just yeah well that didn't so, go where i thought it was going um, <laughs> i know i wish it, like I, i'm mad at myself but i was like god damn wow and just technicolor i'm a sucker for technicolor and i just yeah i just ate it up there you go well I don't know how many times I've seen this at this point because I saw it, I think, for the first time in high school when I f was first starting to get into movies. And I've definitely seen it several times since then. I'm trying to remember. I might have seen it on the big screen once when it was playing in New York, but uh, I don't even remember. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of this movie. Um, I, I recognize the pieces that deserve criticism. Some of them I think deservedly so others I think are just sort of being looked at the wrong way. And I'm sure that'll be part of our conversation coming up. <laughs> but um, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, as I was first seriously getting into movies, I got this book called the ultimate encyclopedia of the movies. And it's the way I first found out about a lot of films. So I'd like to read the entry for the searchers and to be clear, the more subjective parts of this aren't from me and maybe we'll want to discuss those points as we get into our group discussion in a little bit. The Searchers is one of the all-time classic westerns and probably John Ford's most fully realized film. Accurately described by Ford as a psychological epic, it portrays its western hero as a savage racist, a breakthrough in maturity for the genre at a time of heightened racial tension in America. John Wayne gives a malevolent tour-de-force performance as Ethan Edwards, searching for the Native Americans who have slaughtered his family and captured his niece, who might just be his daughter, although this is barely touched upon. He's accompanied by Martin, played by Jeffrey Hunter, who is one-eighth Cherokee, but it is Ethan who has adopted such brutal customs as scalping, 
and Martin, who proves the civilizing influence. They search for five years, Ethan planning to kill Debbie, played by Natalie Wood, rather than save her, until a dramatic change of heart in the picture's thunderous finale. The film's final shot is one of the most famous ever, Wayne framed in a doorway, the eternal outsider. It is an homage to early Ford star Harry Carey Sr., whose hand-on-elbow pose Wayne imitates as he walks away from the homemaker, Mrs. Jorgensen, played by Carey's widow, Olive. The Searchers has great comedy to relieve its grim theme and inspired countless tributes, including Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver in 1976 and Buddy Holly's songwriting. When Martin spits, I hope you die, Wayne draws back, that'll be the day. It was also Ford's best use of Monument Valley out of his nine films in which he featured the bleak American landscape he made his own. So the film has made Sight and Sound Magazine's critics poll of the greatest films ever made the last four times the poll was done, beginning in 1982 when it ranked at number 10. It then moved up to number five in the 1992 poll, was listed as a runner-up in the 2002 poll, and placed at number seven in 2012. The Searchers was a commercial success when it was released in 1956 and mainly grew in reputation over the years. When the AFI produced its list of the 100 greatest westerns of all time in 2008, it came out at number one, and it was also named the 12th best American film of all time on their wider list of the year before, after having been listed at 96 on their similar list in 1998. The best picture of 1956 at the Academy Awards, just to give a sense of what was popular at the time this movie came out, was Around the World in 80 Days, while George Stevens won Best Director for Giant, and The Searchers received no Oscar nominations. The Ten Commandments was the top-grossing film in the United States that year. So, JPK, uh, since this was your pick, why don't you start us off with your thoughts on the film after this viewing? Did it live up to your memories of it, or down to them, as the case may be? I think that this movie is like, I think of it like a like some kind of meditation on like the best and the worst of America. Like, I think that after my first viewing, I was like, I need to give this a little more credit because I wanted to, like, see why all these great filmmakers love this movie. And, like, it's, like, it's been influential on so many other stories and stuff. So, like, um, I love the way it's shot. I love seeing Monument Valley. I love the use of the door in the beginning at the end uh even when john like when ethan finds the family dead he's standing at the door like there's all these really interesting great shots it, like proves that like ford knows what he's doing um i think in some ways he he's almost using john wayne because i don't think this was much of a stretch for john wayne as an actor um i think he's just being the cavalier guy he was in all of the other westerns, and this character is probably closest to the kind of thoughts he may have. Um, this is all speculation. I'm just, I like creating conspiracies in my brain. But um, <laughs> I think, um, you know, the, the problem of the portrayal of Native Americans is, is, is something that, as a is it's like you cannot deny it in this film it's in your face it's not even ashamed of it and i think that that's a big part of what like 
what it is to be American. Like we we don't own up to it and we don't recognize it. There's also like lots of misogyny in the film. Um, there's also moments where like the women are the ones saying the right thing. Like the Aunt Jorgensen's like, she's, you know, <laughs> oh, we're Texicans. Yeah. We're going to take care of our, you know, like. Yeah, I and, remember that scene. Yeah, like and on the, the porch. Like, and like the way, um, what was her name? The trying trying to convince Martin not to go after Debbie, and like you know, there's like little moments where it's almost like clearly the boys are being stupid, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and you know, and and the movie is so very like. It's this like last gasp of toxic masculinity. Like like, this is what men do. This is what we have. To, we have to save the day. You know. <laughs> so um, I don't know. It's I like this movie, but uh, it's hard to say I like this movie. You know. Yeah. That's what it comes down to for me. Like. I think that's. Fair. I also, yeah, I like other westerns too. So, like, if you don't like westerns, then you're gonna hate this movie. <laughs> you know, yeah. like. I think that's key. I think that's really key. Yeah. yeah. Stephen, what did you think this time? It's funny that you say, Jonathan, that if you're you dislike westerns, you're gonna hate this movie. Because I really don't like westerns, but I did really like this movie this time around a lot. Um, and it's because of like the, the just the interesting characters and how they kind of either did change or you know, they came around or, or just the, the diversity of the people that were actually being talked about. Um, because when I was a kid and I saw this movie, you know, I just saw it as a straight Western, like this a rescue mission, you know, single-minded and doing this. And all the characters seemed black and white, like the Indians were supposed to be the bad guys. And then, you know, he was a soldier and he was supposed to be the good guy. But, you know, as you see it as an adult, it's kind of interesting because he was a Confederate soldier, you know, right. and they lost the war and he's not necessarily a good guy. There's all these other parts where like, you know, did he steal that silver that he had? You know, you weren't really sure what kind of person he was. He was single-minded in a way that like, why would it, you know, you continue on this mission for five years, what kind of person are you? Um, and just seeing how he was, I mean, he changed very little. There was some evidence of him changing, but he was still kind of the same person. And so the ending was kind of a complete surprise, uh, uh, you know, just the way that he, you know, he didn't end up killing his niece, maybe daughter, um, just because of how he had even acted before or how he acted with towards Martin. It was just really compelling to me. Like everything he did was just, you just couldn't figure him out, but yet you could at the same time. So I really did enjoy it just for that that part of it. And it was hard, like what Mia said, uh, or also when you watch it for the first 10 minutes, it's kind of problematic because it's, John Wayne is such a character that he's been caricatured so much that you can't get past that when you first are watching that. Right. And so it just takes a while to get in. Oh, I think it was you, Laura. and. Once you get over that hump, it's just, you know, I'm just on board with it. So I, I really did like this movie, too, even with all the problems that it has. But it's worth talking about, I think. Um, that's what makes it interesting. And Mia? So <laughs> I, like, I feel like I haven't even, like, I've been trying to, like, organize my thoughts around it. And it's just, like, hard for me, too. Because I agree with, like, everything that's been said so far. Like, I think... It's like a movie that even as hard as it was for me to watch in certain times or like as much as I was just like, oh, my God, at comments or, you know, and even once you start digging into the backstory, like, you know, the 
um, the actor who plays Scar, the main Native American chief in the movie, is German. Um, I tried to find some more information about the woman who plays uh, Martin Pauly's wife there for a few minutes. Look, quote unquote, as they call her. <laughs> and it was just like I was infuriated so much at that whole like just like the fact that that was even in the movie it just was so extraneous like I feel like the only reason why that was there was so that he would write this in this letter to Lori and then she would get mad and like to further the like romantic subplot which I didn't have an issue with the romantic subplot but I was just like okay you know this woman is getting like degraded literally shoved down a hill um so like that was really hard for me and I I couldn't find that much more about her um so I I think she was actually Native American but I'm not a hundred percent sure um but anyway so it was just hard for me to see like even though I I haven't seen a ton of westerns and I know that this movie subverted a lot of the themes of those movies by making the main white character this more complex I would argue like just asshole character in all these ways um but I felt like at the same time even though there's that one scene where Scar set, gives his motivation of like oh my sons were killed so I'm seeking revenge just like how you know um uh John Wayne's character's family was killed so he's seeking his revenge even more so than trying to rescue his one remaining family member um but I still just felt like the lack of agency that was given to any of the Native American characters in the film was just really hard for me to get past. And I know I'm looking at this from like a 2021 perspective, not a 1950s perspective, and certainly not an 1870s or whenever this was supposed to be perspective. Um, but yeah, that was still just like my main takeaway from the film was just a lot of anger about that. <laughs> it's beautiful. Everything everyone said, you know, it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully directed. I get why it's like a classic film. I definitely think people should see it. Um, and I think, like I said, when I'd seen it before, I don't, I didn't have quite this visceral reaction, um, but just something about watching it this time. I was like, oh my God, I can't. <laughs> and Laura? Um, you know, I, I kind of went in how I just, I was shocked <laughs> from the beginning. I wasn't sure this was the right film, but it's just, you know, it really impressed me. The characters were very nuanced. I thought it was interesting. The opening where he talked about how it could be maybe his daughter, um, was something I think I thought about subconsciously and, you know, just didn't even put two and two together. And now it's like, of course, that's where it was. There was so much nuanced looks and emotion. And it was also really interesting, you know, we've each mentioned something recent that this film reminds us of, or, you know, it's just, it's got such, the the, the story has just launched, a, sort of in, like Rashman, a thousand, you know, imitations. And I think what was the hardest for me was the fact that Ethan didn't go back to help his family. Like he knew it was a murder aid. He knew they were coming and he didn't. And that was, that's, that's the question that I am struck with. And maybe that's why it took five years to find Debbie and went on that journey since he didn't necessarily seem like the most selfless man. It was, um, that to, to me, that's the sticking point of the film. Like just, 
he should have been there, I guess. So that's where I, that's where my brain keeps going back to. Yeah. I, I think that that point, like I, I, he explains it in the film why, right. you know, I'm not saying that's satisfactory necessarily, but I, I do think there's a logic okay. to it. Like it's, it's one of those moments that proves he's a pragmatic, realistic person in a way, even though he's also a raging asshole racist and right. all these other ways. But he's a guy who knows how this world works and how to he's almost like superhuman in a way of like his knowledge of everything that he needs to know to uh, track these people down and how to deal with them from, I mean, in a shitty way, but he, he, he knows their customs just so he can hate on them almost, you know? But, but um, I guess in this case though, like it's more that he knows like he's not going to be able to make it back in time because his horse will just like run out on him if he doesn't rest the horse. And we see the example of, of uh, Martin, you know, he, that does happen to him and then he, they're both too late for it. So Anyway, um, right. yeah, so but but I, I get that it's still like he doesn't seem urgent about it. And it is no, it, it is off putting. But like, I think that there's a movie logic to it that makes there sense. is there um, is that. But still, it doesn't sit with me. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, as, as for my take on it this time. Yeah, I've seen it so many times. Like, it's hard for me to, like, think about it in a fresh way, sort of like I and even when I saw it the first time. Um, I had seen a ton of Westerns. Like my dad was very into John Wayne movies and Westerns generally. And I wasn't necessarily always watching those, but they were on and I kind of knew about them and would see so much of them that I feel like I internalized so much about this genre, even before I really got serious about watching them for my own self. And then when I saw this movie, it was just sort of like a, Oh, I see why, why this was like a big deal when it came out, like it, thinking about it in the context of, um, it being at the end of a 20 to 40 year run of Westerns being one of the dominant American genres, especially in movies. Um, but like I said, it's hard for me to kind of think about it disconnected from my previous viewings of it. This time I was watching it, uh, like thinking about like the daughter thing, especially of like, is there anything in this movie that you can actually latch on to that points to Debbie being Ethan's daughter? Personally, I don't think there is. I think it's perfectly fine to speculate it's possible, but like, I don't think it's necessarily in there in the same way that um, that it's obvious that he and Martha are in love with each other or have been in love with right. each other and still have feelings, uh, the residue of a relationship on them. Um, but yeah, the, the daughter thing, like that was the one thing I went into the movie like being like, uh, well, one of a couple things, but that was the the thing that I was like really trying to like track and decide if I thought it was in there. And I just couldn't say that it was the other thing. Like, I know that this movie is considered to be racist um, by a lot of people. And I think in parts it is. I think the depiction of Native Americans is not good. <laughs> like the, just the way they depict them, like the the characterization, I think it's in line in a way with what had come before, but was also advancing that. I think it, if, and I think it leads to the better depictions we get that took a long time later. Like this, this was like one of the turns towards more realistic depictions in later Westerns. Um, Are you talking about like, an, I'm sorry, like an Archie Bunker syndrome where it's like you acknowledge the racism, you put it so plainly that it becomes more of a, a thing that's dealt with. No, I think with the Native yeah. Americans, 
I think that's not really quite there. Um, I think with Ethan, yes, I think I think that's a good call. Like he's sort of like an Archie Bunker where it's a depiction of a racist and of racism in a racist society um, is not necessarily an endorsement of it. Unfortunately, it's still using the vocabulary of Hollywood Westerns at, that that had been the one of the popular genres and money makers and people knew like basically the idea of what quote unquote Indians were um was built by John Ford and other other western filmmakers and people who'd written books in the genre and stuff like that and so they needed to in a way I'm not I'm not saying that they had to do this but I I feel like what they were doing was uh just pl- like taking the image that they'd already built, these stupid tropes they'd already built, and just turning it just a little so that it was like, oh, whoa, this is something new. Like, of just giving Scar an actual motivation. Um, right. You know, it, which I'm not, again, I'm not saying that that's enough. I think that this movie still has problems and that's where they lie. But I, I do think the uh, that Ethan is clearly an asshole. He's clearly a racist. I don't think you're supposed to think that those things are good in him. And I think sometimes people look at the movie and think it's glorifying him when I don't think it is. Um, but, well, but on I, some but level, I, yeah, it's a, John Wayne is hard not to glorify, you know, sure. John Wayne isms, you know, that he just has it. He's got this kind of, you know, X factor that, right. Yeah, and I, th- I think JPK mentioned it before. Um, yeah. Of, you know, like the J- John Wayne comes on screen and you kind of expect something and you get a version of it, but it's twisted just enough to be something new and something you quite you haven't quite seen from him before. I do agree that it is totally, um, I think somebody, I don't know if it was JPK or somebody else said that this no, I think is very much like a John Wayne performance. But I do think it's just different enough and just twisted enough from the norm that it's something new and starts to put things on a path towards a better version of what a Western can be. Um, but I, I do wonder if it suffers from that thing that we've talked about on the podcast a couple of times already of like the first thing sort of pales sometimes after you've seen all the imitations later the, or, or the the trendsetter, you know, like the trendsetter doesn't always um, live up once you've watched all the stuff that was enabled by it after the fact um, and, and then was allowed to be better, a better version of it, you know. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm going on too long here. So, Alicia, what were your first thoughts on it? Um... <laughs> I surprisingly, I think because my expectations were so, 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 so low um, (laughs) that, and I was really dreading actually watching this movie, but um, I think that this time I was able to actually appreciate it because of that. I was like, oh, it's actually, it's actually not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff does happen. I was remembering it in this very like boring way, but um I ended up, yeah, really like, I don't want to say I uh, loved it or even liked it, but I came away with an appreciation for it this time that I didn't, that I wasn't able to muster up last time. And I think that is because I I really knew nothing about it when I watched it the first time. And I guess my 
presumption was that John Wayne was supposed to be this like swaggering hero and coming in and saving the day. And he's obviously this somewhat despicable character. And I was just like, how could anyone be rooting for this? How could anyone like this guy? How could anyone be rooting for this character? How could this be enjoyable? But this time, I guess it clicked in me that he was like the (laughs) anti-hero. And so I was able to appreciate that. Um, I do still question some of the intentions of the storyteller overall, the director, I guess, overall, in terms of, is he trying to, like, I guess we already kind of talked about it a little bit. Is he trying to show you the negative aspects of racism or is that just in the story as part of his journey as being who he is? And um, I, yeah, I feel like the, the Native American characters were still treated really problematically. And so that was still tough for me. Um, but, but yeah, I think I can appreciate it. I, I liked it much more this time than I did the first time. I still think that some of the acting is like also not that good. Like who? <laughs> who? Uh, well, John Wayne. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, like, I think he's really good in this. Okay, he's great. fine. He's good, but he's a little, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just don't always buy his like swagger. Yeah, I think it's like yeah. a male thing for me. But um, and then Natalie Wood is like not not at her best in this. I think she's, she's so bad. beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's gorgeous. gorgeous. I think she, I think she gives a poor performance. She wasn't really given much to work with. Yeah, I think. True. Sure. very true. Yeah, very true. yeah, of course not. What about Jeffrey Tucker? Jeffrey Hunter. <laughs> Was that Jeffrey Martin? Hunter, yeah, like, yeah. Is that Mar- Martin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's good. He's good. Yeah, I he's like, like him the better. Robbie Benson of yeah. like. I actually googled. Are they related? <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked him I better that- this time around. I've. I've in the past thought that he was like the weak link of the movie. And I think he's a I, bit of a buffoon. I, I think I saw a lot more going on with him this time. Like I, I was, I get to kind of see, see the wheels turning a little more than I'd noticed before or something. He's but, a kid, you know, he's like, yeah. he's still a kid and he's got to work with this guy who hates him, you know, like, yeah. yeah. JPK, uh, again, since this was your pick, did you have any sort of like question or, or discussion point that you wanted to raise with us to, to kind of take us further into the conversation? Well, a couple of thoughts just from hearing everybody's thoughts. Um, like, I, I really do, when I watch it now, like in the last couple of times I have watched it, I do think that Debbie is his daughter. Like, I think the proof is that um, it's been eight years since the war and Debbie's eight years old. And just the, like, when you, the way... Martha looks at Ethan when he, she's the one at the door seeing him come in and the brother doesn't really talk to him, doesn't hug him, gives him a, you know, shakes his hand. It's like something happened there and they're not talking about it, but it's very clear how like, cause even when they say how like Ethan found Martin and it, it, oh, it just happened to be me. Like it was like, he won't own it. He doesn't want to own anything, but he'll he'll search for five years for this girl, though. You know, like he. And I think it's because he doesn't. He doesn't just hate the natives. He knows them. Like he he's invested enough to learn about like what they believe in the afterlife, or like you know, even like when he kills all the buffalo. Like it's a really deep hatred 
that like it, it the more i watch it the more it's like disturbing and i think that like the thought of his daughter being raised by this this group of people he just i don't like and the the shift from him wanting to kill her to like just making taking her home like i think that's the change we see also like he learns to love martin because he's gonna leave all his stuff to Martin. Like I don't know if it's love, but like that whole scene at the Rock when he reads his will. I think about that scene a lot too. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I guess the question I was gonna bring up was like, is it time to cancel John Ford? But it's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. You know, like, that's, that's I, not the question I thought was gonna come from that. <laughs> well, like, I, know. I, I think that was like that's why I picked this movie because when I saw the list of movies he sent me, I was like, oh, I could go. I mean, we could talk about Singing in the Rain forever, but like, this is really an interesting movie, and I and I wanted to know. I appreciate all your opinions and I wanted to know what you thought of this film and for good or for ill and like especially the world we live in now where it's people getting up in arms about Dr. Seuss and fucking bullshit like (laughs) you know like is it time I read somewhere comparing the racism in The Searchers to the same complaint of racism in Huck Finn but like I thought that was an interesting comparison between Huck Finn and how, like, clearly, like, Huck's father is racist, and there's that whole speech about the government, and, you know, and all these characters in that book are, have a racist, and you see Huck change from a boy who doesn't know anybody to understanding, like, the you know, the, who Jim is and what, what the angle is. And then, but the, the flip side is in the searchers, we have this a grown man <laughs> who should know better, you know, but I don't know yeah. if he changes, you know. I was just going to say, it's interesting you brought that up because I was thinking about Huckleberry Finn and there was this this passage that I remembered um, from t- from taking it in high school where I think um, Huck at some point says Jim, he knew Jim was white inside. So it means that like he was part of the society that he felt like, oh, okay, then he's he's part of us. And it was mentioned a few times in this movie when they went to the the camp, I think, when they had the kidnapped women that were there and they oh, were yeah. like, oh, they're not white anymore. They're not right. white anymore. Yeah, and it, and it also made me think of the will and that he was giving his money to uh, Martin, who was an eighth Cherokee, I think, but he was white, consideringly. So I feel like he made the shift over from Debbie, who was like considered, you know, she wasn't part of the white race anymore, but he is because he's white presenting and he just does all the mores that we're doing. So it's just a different, it's a different switch, I think. Yeah, I read some stuff about that too when I was like digging into like the criticisms and or, you know, defenders of this film or just whatever, the analysis of it out on the internet. And it's interesting that he's such a racist, but to him it's, it is how people look, but it is also about this like interior thing because it's yeah he views you know his maybe daughter or other people that have been living with the comanche the comanche as he calls them all the time um as no longer white but uh, martin who has lived with this family his entire life and is one maybe one eighth cherokee he is so mean to for the vast majority of the film despite i mean you know there's the scene with the will and everything but that's almost like 
oh man, I'm about to die out in the desert and there's no one else. And I've written off my like niece daughter person. Um, so it was just interesting to me that like it is this racist thing, but it's it's more than just like someone's skin color to him. Mm-hmm. I'm going to introduce a new wrinkle to this Martin discussion now, because the first time I watched this movie, I thought it was going to be revealed um, that Martin is actually his son. And yeah. that the, the scalped mother that they mentioned at the end was was like his uh, wife or, or not wife, but like a, another lover. Like this guy's just playing right. all the ladies around this valley or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, and to me, there's more in the movie to point to that possibility in the text of the movie. I'm not saying necessarily the subtext, but in the text of the movie, I think there's more to cling on to and maybe make that supposition than the Debbie is his daughter thing. Um, the reason I bring that up, though, about like f- wondering if uh, Martin was his son is like, I thought that would be another reason for him to hate him. Like that he is like, I can't believe I have a son that is one eighth Cherokee. And it's like this self-hatred thing on top of everything. But I'm not sure that that's in there either. It's just like, for some reason, I th- I thought that the first time I saw it. I thought it was interesting that the, he's one-eighth Cherokee, which not that I'm like some expert on Native Americans, but is a tribe I associate more with like Tennessee, like the Carolinas, like the East Coast Appalachian area, as opposed to like allegedly Texas, which is another thing that really bothered me the whole time watching this. I'm like, no, this is very like it is not in Texas. <laughs> um, and so that was. But yeah, I I kind of had like similar things too, where I was like, because I didn't really remember too much from the first time of like, oh, wait, is it going to turn out that like this is his son here? I will say, though, with the daughter, is it his daughter thing? We don't know what he was really doing before he left, right? And if he left eight years ago when his wife is pregnant, like it could totally make sense that he was like, oh, my God, I am in love with my brother's wife. I got her pregnant. It's caused this like huge rift in my family. I'm just going to leave. And like he goes off and fights in the Civil War. And then he continues on to fight in the uh, Mexican War. And he, I for whatever reason, like finally comes home. But it's been the better part of a decade. Did you guys watch the trailer? No. No. Well, it was such an interesting grand film. I thought that I would wonder what the trailer had. And I don't think there was that many versions of trailers the way they are now. And it's really long Mm -hmm. and it gives a lot of the movie away. But it also says from the from the desert of Arizona to the plains of Canada, you know, so I think the film without saying it is supposed to span so much of America That, and we're just supposed to kind of glean that from it. And even I, though they say Texican in the film, I think that's maybe just an idea of a frontier, you know, moniker or nickname for these people that are trying to start something new. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. So I think that 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 is where they actually filmed from what I read. They shot some stuff in Alberta, mm-hmm. some stuff obviously in, I mean, most of it in Monument Valley, um, because I think the you know the texas comanche wars was like an actual real historical thing i guess there was fighting for like 60 years longest war on american soil i had no idea right and and was very much like in texas like they weren't even really near it was like north would it take five years to travel texas i mean i i don't know but and also too that so this was 
it was originally a book before it was a movie and right. it was a bunch of you know i'm sure drawn from a lot of different sources but the main story was a girl who was kidnapped by comanche i think i don't remember actually but by native americans um in a raid on a fort in texas and then she was actually missing for like 25 years or something like that and it like had completely basically forgotten she was nine when she was kidnapped so she'd forgotten her earlier life and was married and had children and was like basically you know completely integrated but her uncle was searching for her not in, for not for 25 years um but for like seven or eight years and so then uh when this guy wanted to write the story and about he written a lot of western stories and he was kind of digging into it and then he was really more intrigued like oh, okay this is this interesting story of this girl who was held captive but like wait her uncle like that's where the real story is um and the uncle had written account an account of his time searching for her so long answer to your question to not a question but <laughs> well, <laughs> i think i think you're right i just think it's interesting that you know, they brought that up in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was like more expansive than Texas uh, in the story, but they don't ever really say. The only location thing we get is a card in the beginning that says Texas 1868. I think they do go to New Mexico in the mm. movie, though. I think right. some of the later scenes when the um, guy with the sombrero takes them to Scar and they have that mm. trading scene, mm-hmm. I think that is supposed to be in New Mexico. What did you guys think of the sort of B story, the love story of Martin and the other girl? I liked it. Really? <laughs> <laughs> that was a pointed question, Alicia. I love when, Lo- is it Lori? When they're- when she's watching Charlie and Martin fight and the look at her. Oh, she's- yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. That was it's funny. funny. And like, I hate, like, Charlie is just so annoying and. Oh my god. Yeah. Why they have to make him so slow? I was like, yeah. just marry him so she so Martin can marry Natalie. Yeah. Well, I just felt like I mean, I just felt like, yeah, it was I I don't know. It to me it kind of I don't want to say it cheapened the whole thing, because it doesn't cheapen the whole thing, but it did kind of like it was just like a thing I didn't need. Like, I didn't really care if he had this, like, love interest back at home that wanted him to come back around. I thought I liked her parents. I thought those, they were good good actors. Those were probably the two most interesting actors, except for maybe the guy's accent. Um, <laughs> at least, like, the most grounded performances. But, um, but, yeah, the love story to me, I was like, I don't care about this. Why am I having to sit there? I like the Reverend and Moe's. Yeah, oh, yeah. The Reverend Captain guy. He was good, too. And Moe's amazing. And I, I will say that, like, I think also every time I watch it now, I see how, like, there's the, the movie is just so episodic, which is like such a Western film thing. And there are all these, like, ridiculous characters like Moe's and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the caricatures and like the, you know. So when the scene with, like, Mrs. Pauly happens, it's like, yeah, for us, it's like, it's just, oh, God, this doesn't need to be in the movie. You can get rid of, mm-hmm. like, the majority of all these characters, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it would be a brilliant movie. But, like, I think the audience at the time was used to, like, watching, or, I mean, serial radio shows of Westerns and serial, you know, TV shows and all that crap. So Yeah, I guess I just chalk that up to, like, a desire to have full-bodied entertainment. You got to have some songs. You got to have some comedy. You got to have like a love story in these in these movies. I just think that that's what was on order at that time. Like if you're going to make mm. this type of movie, you put those things in there. 
And yeah, I think it seems anachronistic to us now just because it seems extraneous. I just thought it was necessary um, just because it was kind of a nice, since it was such a serious movie all the time, I kind of liked a little bit of mm-hmm. a different type of story in there. And also just because she seemed like a more of a modern type woman, I guess, because she was sometimes she's wearing pants or, you know, she went up and kissed him on the lips as soon as she saw him. And I, I don't know if that was the custom then or if people were, you know, maybe it was the frontier. Yeah, it just seemed kind of interesting. And also we just saw a different side of masculinity by seeing Charlie, who was just completely like this foppish guy that played the guitar and grinned all the time. And so, you know, I, I think it was just sort of like a push pull with like, even though this guy was immature, he was still like out in the frontier. This is Martin. And then it was against this guy, Charlie, who was a lot older and still like he didn't seem like a man either. So I just thought it was kind of like an interesting kind of. Me too. Her name is Vera Miles, by the way. I I I liked it. I mean, I, I totally get why people would think it's extraneous, but I thought it was like a good break from like the darkness of the mm-hmm. search and the John Wayne character. I also thought that if Martin Pauly is supposed to be like, you know, he just wants to find his, uh, you know, effect, effectively his sister the one person he has in his family left and then I presume come back and, you know, rebuild a home and build a life with Lori and like start his own family. And so to me, he's this, you know, just regular guy who wants things that 99% of people want. And so just to me, I thought it also was like more of a foil for like Ethan and he's alone you don't have any, you know, we have theories, but there's no real sense of like, has he had a wife or a serious partner? He doesn't have, you know, as far as we know, any children. So I just thought it was also there for like that effect in the story too. I was going to say, I did appreciate the fact that there were, that there were people still there that they wanted to come home to. There was something to bring Mm -hmm. Debbie home to. There was some reason for Martin to want to go back I think I just didn't buy in. I think I just, yeah, I just, it just felt the tone felt so different from the rest of the movie. I think that mm. threw me a lot, but sorry. That. What were you, what were you going to say, Laura? This is my first John Ford film. I've seen, um, I like Westerns. I love Leone and like the spaghetti Westerns. And so I just, I assume that the Ford Westerns have to have some sort of like, like what Jeremiah, to Jeremiah's point, like this is how you need that kind of romantic subplot in order to make, get funding, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But. I don't know that it had anything to do with funding at that point. Cause he was sort of not. like, you know, the King director at that point, but. Yeah. Um, was he? Yeah. I mean, he'd won four Oscars for best director and two for like best documentary. And he was like the guy. But, the guy. but I think for himself, he needed to have those things in these movies because that's to him what these movies were uh, largely. A lot, and, and I don't think it's it's not every one of them has every one of these things, but he has like this grab bag of elements that he's going to pull from to put into each of the movies. And you're going to get an assortment from that grab bag every time. Um, but I, I think since you brought up John Ford again, I think that comes back to jpk's question of is it time to cancel john ford and the the (laughs) politics of john ford i think are really interesting i did some reading up on this he's not like easy to pin down he was a very 
sort of all over the place, contradictory figure. He was someone who helped form the unions in Hollywood and at first was against the House Un-American Activities Committee that blacklisted people, but then sort of got caught up in the paranoia of it. And he kind of went back and forth. Like he was very progressive and, a, and an FDR supporter, loved the New Deal, but then ended his life supporting Richard Nixon because at the same time that he was like this very pro-working man, pro-America type of person, he was also sort of like pro-military and he was himself a military man. And he just sort of like, even though he didn't think the Vietnam War was particularly worth it, he was not going to not support it. And um, that would have been anti-American. Yeah. Um, so he, he's this weird mix of stuff in a way that I think is different than John Wayne, who is m a little more like <laughs> monolithically terrible Jesus. politically. Um, yeah. and, and I think John Ford had more of a track record in his personal life and I mean, not just personal life, but just in, in public as well of supporting um, like civil rights and things like that. I just watched the, that, um, real world, the first season, like reunion where they all came back together. I, I just trust me, this is going to go. Come on. <laughs> um, were they awesome. searching for something? It was the best one. It was, it was really good. Um, they really rehashed, good. they re they retalked in light of like current events. A lot of the arguments that they had 30 years ago or whatever it was about, especially about race. Um, and Kevin Powell, who was the only black man in the cast at the time and who was the person that had most of the big arguments about race and that kind of thing. Um, they interviewed him in the LA Times about the show and he said um, he doesn't believe in cancel, he believes in counsel. So don't cancel counsel. I think that I really like that. And I think that for me, I think that that's a much more healthy way to <laughs> view anything. Um, give it context, learn about it. Um, yeah, I'm kind of not, some people of course out and out need to be canceled. Um, I don't know that this is that. Um, I think if, if it was like a straight out propaganda film <laughs> about how awful the Native Americans are or something, then sure, cancel that. But I think, I think there's more nuance here. I think the best example of why to not cancel John Ford for like politics, especially is to watch Grapes of Wrath because that movie mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. yeah. definitely a socialist propaganda yeah. film. And I love it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's on, on the list. list. <laughs> and that and that's one of the four movies he won his best director Oscars for. Okay. Yeah. To your point, Alicia, I think that that like, I, and it's a silly question to say, let's cancel John Ford, but like accountability is what we should talk about now. There's like, it's yeah. too easy yeah. to just say black and white. Like, you know, there's definitely films that, that we should watch to learn from. And like, you know, I learned a lot from watching the searchers. I, I also learned more from like seeing its influence on other Westerns that I like more, you know, and I, I think that um, it is kind of sad that we're so dismissive. Like we can't, as a culture, just like maybe learn from an artist's shortcomings, you know. I wonder how people feel about, people here feel about what has happened with, um, say, Gone with the Wind. If you go to watch it on um, HBO Max or see it on TCM, there's going to be a message ahead of it that basically says, this movie racist. 
Um, and <laughs> I, I, I think that what I would say differentiates the searchers from Gone with the Wind and Birth of a Nation is that it was a movie that was trying to grapple with that stuff. It didn't have all the tools to do it, but it was trying to like recognize that racism was a thing instead of being like the South will rise again and slavery was called for. Yeah. Like all that shit. Like those movies, like I, we watched gone with the wind recently just to like kind of see how bad it was. And it's fucking terrible in the way that it, it depicts the, the South and the attitudes uh, that it propagates and like really like that movie and that book did so much to set things back and it, and so did Birth of a Nation as a movie <laughs> but like I, I do think that this is a different type of thing where it was trying to turn towards something else while still being clumsy about plenty um, like JPK's point that John Ford used John Wayne in this yeah I, th- I definitely think he was using his movie star image because like john wayne is like one of those dudes who like th- i think the phrase he's not an actor he's a movie star was probably coined about him yeah um, right yeah i agree Damn I, I was just gonna say about gone with the wind too and i haven't seen birth of a nation and don't really have any desire to but um i you know gone with the wind is such a nostalgic movie and mm-hmm. this is absolutely not a nostalgic movie you know there's no you know i mean you see them have like the people living there like having the wedding scene or other times they come together and it's like happy and people are happy but it's not a rose tinted glasses look at what life was like on the frontier for anyone for native americans or white people then that's a really good point i remember a couple years back i read gone with the wind because my mom loves that book and i was like why so i read it and then i like i think as a work of fiction it's great as long as you understand like it's totally fiction like their perception of like what the war was, was not based in reality, you know, like, right. Whereas like the searchers is not, it's, there's a little more truth to what it is, like what actually happened. And mm-hmm. it's hard, it's hard to convince a bunch of people that they're, they're mistaken. <laughs> it's really, yeah. you know, it's cool, Jonathan, is I'm a Lethem nerd too. And I didn't know that he, um, I haven't read the book, the sci-fi book that's based on the searchers. And I haven't read that essay. So I think that maybe if I had, I might've been even more pro searchers, unfortunately, because I'm a dork. Well, but- I also, and then I, <laughs> I reread the, the Joan Didion has an essay about John Wayne that I reread last week just because I was like thinking about Wayne and it's all about like how when she was young she fell in love with him because he was John Wayne it was like this ideal man you know and I think that's also a big thing that like I don't know whether or not consciously or not but Ford like used John Wayne as this pinnacle in this film you know like of what masculinity yeah, of is like, and good and bad and all its yeah tropes. and also like just humanity in good and bad like it's 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 really something to think about and like as an american good and bad because like you know he only swore one oath to the confederacy and like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna become a ranger because i one oath's good enough for me you know like this is <laughs> this is a guy who's like really definitely i'm an american and i believe in what i believe in and you can't tell me to do it you know so it, it's say it, do it again say, say the catchphrase 
Do it. Uh, oh, I love it. I, like, I counted how many times they say it. They say it like three times in the movie. And, uh, it. it's, and it's also, that's a whole other level. Like Buddy, <laughs> Buddy Holly, like walked out of that, because Buddy Holly's from Texas. He right. walked out of that movie yeah. and he heard that phrase and he wrote this fucking hit song that like influenced the Beatles. And, you know, like, like, yeah, it's like, so anyway. It can't be canceled, essentially. Well, I think we can we can counsel on it, and we can all learn. Oh boy, learn learn. <laughs> we can learn from it. So I didn't catch it the first time I watched it, but this time, um, when the Reverend Captain guy comes in and he says, "I didn't see you at the surrender to to Ethan," mm-hmm. and Ethan says, um, "I don't, I don't, I don't believe in surrender," and I felt like that was his ethos throughout the whole movie like he wasn't going to hit setting out from the very beginning he wasn't there to forgive he wasn't there to rescue he wasn't there to find inner peace or something about or make peace within himself about what had happened through through rescuing his niece or daughter or whatever um it was just about vengeance for him pretty much until the very end when something in him clicks and he changes but but yeah yeah that was interesting because when he walks in he's wearing a csa belt buckle and it's still Mm -hmm. pronounced and the war has been over for like at least three years three years Mm. well since you brought up the ending alicia one thing that i've always sort of been struck by every time including this time is just how quick his turn is because you watch him chase down his niece you think he's going to kill her um, I mean, if you've seen it, you know, he's not going to obviously, but like, it's just still surprising to me that the quickness of his, his shift to embracing her. And it seems to come out of nowhere every time. Um, uh, cause he just seems demented and just like, you know what he's going to do. Um, so I'm just curious, does everybody buy that transition? Like, yeah, it didn't come out of nowhere for me. No. Yeah. I think it's what every woman or little girl wants it's to be loved you know by their dad etc so i think that is what anyone would look for in that moment and if you know whether it completely (laughs) follows is another thing um as much as it needed to be there i don't disagree that that's the way it needed to end it's just like it always just kind of catches me by surprise because he's chasing her down on a horse like he's going to fucking yeah. murder her, and then he doesn't. Um, and he, he also shot at her once before, so mm-hmm. you think he that did. he means yeah. business. Almost. So that's why, yeah. yeah. Well, he, he yeah, well, Martin, well, gets, he yeah, Martin gets in front, and then he gets shot. shot. Anyway, I was watching that again. He doesn't actually. I don't think he shoots at her on purpose. He did not. Yeah, because he he gets shot by an arrow, and then the gun goes off. Maybe I'm totally wrong. I thought he kind of shot like not at them, but like shot. But maybe he did just lift up his gun and then he got shot with the arrow. I thought yeah. he like shot, got shot with the arrow and then shot again. If he could have shot her in that earlier scene um, where Martin jumps in front of her and then he then Ethan gets shot and all that, I think he would have shot her then. But I don't think he would have at the end. Like, I don't think he was intending to. I guess I read it as like, you know, now she's there. He can like take her. He knows it's like all about to end. Like he's like, you know, knocked Scar down and stuff like that. And so at that point, he's kind of like, oh, okay. But I guess to me, something else I wanted to say too is like, just it bothered me the whole time. This, like, and I, I mean, I, 
I know that like I'm that they didn't make this up for this movie or anything, but just this like obsession with like, oh my God, these white women and these Native Americans having sex with them and how like that is worse than being dead to these people. And just tying up in like all the other like racist elements of it. I just thought there was like this particular thing. And like obviously this is, you know, Native American people on the frontier, but like, you know, I think we all know about like just like the purity of white women with all kinds of racist shit and like Emmett Tell and I you know a thousand things like that in our culture so I think that was just another thing too that like just really got under my skin this time um and just the concept that like oh you know and sure I'm not saying that there weren't like white women who were raped in these incidences but also a lot of white women who you know the woman who this whole story was based on like basically stopped eating and killed herself because she was torn away from the family she had lived with and her husband was murdered and stuff like in front of her. It's just that really bothered me. And so just his like, oh, I'd rather kill my own potential maybe daughter because she's been, you know, in theory, like taken in whatever, like sexually taken by these, in his mind, savages. Yeah, I mean, problematic. I mean, I, I'm glad you brought up Emmett Till because that happened the year before his. his oh, interesting. And so I think that. Oh wow. That was very much, you know, in the public consciousness in some way. It had to have been. Um, I don't know if that's why they have that very clear strain that you're describing, Mia, of of this being so much about like we can't let our white women have sex with. Native Americans like that that's their fear that's their biggest fear but that was something that was like in the culture at the time uh that the movie came out in in a different yeah way. like Lucy's so. fiance literally I mean I know she's dead too but like she and they never explicitly say that she was raped but you know it's the the vibe is there and you know he runs headlong into a village of these people who have just murdered his fiance and gets you know killed off camera himself right. like he's driven so and you know ethan in that moment is just like clearly like maybe more upset than he is at any other point in the film or at least it's in like the top three like upset ethan moments um well, because he, he found her dead body not just yeah. because yeah. sure no i mean i know it's both it's definitely both but i think he doesn't have the same reaction to finding the other to finding his maybe ex-lover and his brother and their other son dead and the two girls missing right like it's a bigger reaction to this one girl and i just think it's because she was raped i mean essentially this movie is about an honor killing an attempted honor killing that he ends up not following through on it didn't fall flat for me entirely at the end when, um, back to your other question about if it felt un, like too quick of a turn. I think Martin was planting those seeds yeah, sure. in him as it went on. And then I, when he finally gets his hands on her, he grabs her and he picks her up like how when she, like he had done when she was little. And I think whatever it is the love that he feels for her finally like overcomes this vengeance that, that he had felt the entire time. Mm -hmm. I think that it, it felt like it still wasn't like the best ending I've ever seen in my life, but it didn't feel completely out of left field that he would drop the wanting to kill her. Maybe for the ending, it's the 
the arguments all make sense and everyone's points are completely valid, but that last shot is probably one of the most beautiful sure. ending shots I've ever seen. Personally. Oh yeah. I'm not getting down on that. It's just no, the, no, the I didn't think anyone lifting would, her up I and just... then taking her. No, no. Yeah. I'm talking about the last shot of yeah, the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Through the good. door. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's one well, of the best. You see like him walking off. You see Lori and Martin walking together. And it's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's really, yeah. And it's completely mirroring the opening shot where mm-hmm. the door is open and you see Ethan coming and they go out to greet him. And the him. camera goes out the door. Like watching like yeah. the camera yeah. come through. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. Another um, thing, she, I, I'm sorry, I for, yeah. wanted to bring up that I forgot to mention earlier, but just when Ethan like pretty much uses Martin for bait, it's like another, another yeah. instance of like just how despicable ethan is and like he's like oh i'll build up this fire and i'll put him right next to it and like i'll go wait over here oh it's yeah. terrible he might get killed yeah but whatever. but whatever i don't really care <laughs> he seemed pretty confident that he wasn't yeah. going to get killed though See, that's remember? a thing i'm i just I mean, how could you be it's sure like, though yeah. Yeah. but you know he just didn't cross his yeah, mind it's like ethan always knows what to do it's like almost yeah. like and he and but you also like hate him for knowing the right move and being. Right. Well, you just, he is so smart. And so it is so disappointing that he is still like emotionally stunted. Yeah. Um, Martin is so much smarter than anyone gives him credit for yeah. throughout mm-hmm. the film. He could always sense when things were off. And I mean, obviously he's a mess with women and he ended <laughs> up having to take his shirt off in every scene, which was fine for me, but <laughs> I didn't hate that either. Yeah, did not mind. Either. Me neither. I was okay with that. I forgot I what I was also talking okay about. With it. <laughs> I, I like that he he gets he eyes, gets slapped oh, over that eyes. bench like twice. Like he gets. Oh, I know. I really like yeah. that. This this is for JPK and Steven, but you know who he is, right? Yes, yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I looked him up. Yeah, I really he, did. Think he, was he was the really first captain on Star Trek. Before, oh. in the original pilot for Star Trek, he was the he was the star, and then the network didn't like it, so they reshot a new pilot with uh, William Shatner, and like the only cast mm-hmm. member that stayed on was Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Yeah, um, but the, didn't they kill him? Like, and Kirk inherited it. Yeah, well, yeah, they kind of wrote it into the series later, and then they like redid that in the latest round of movies, even where you have uh, what's his name, Bruce. Greenwood is that his name um playing yeah Jeffrey Hunter's character from Star Trek but yeah mm-hmm. anyway nerd stuff <laughs> um this whole podcast yeah yeah sure sure nerd stuff, nerd stuff. but, but that's nerd like stuff. double nerd stuff <laughs> double nerd stuff something else that kind of equivalent to what you were saying Laura about like why doesn't he just go back like if you know that your whole family is about to be murdered like wouldn't you ride on your horse as far as you could and then run and you know sure what bothered me is that they only stick Debbie out the window and they the rest of them just like sit in front of the fire like they're just I mean I know they have like their gun but I just kind of thought to me like if you you live in this you know new to new new to white people area that's like clearly pretty dangerous and you have to be self-sufficient and they just seemed really underprepared for any kind of attack and like they have an they have an escape for their one daughter, but like the rest of them, wouldn't you just be like, 
kids go run all of you like i just didn't get it yeah. well that movie priest that i mentioned the 2011 post-apocalyptic film with vampires that it's basically the same exact story had the same problem um but instead of putting her outside they put her in the basement under like they and i was just like that's so much better like why didn't they all just hide under the floor or the hide the women but either way yeah I have a question about the logistics. <laughs> don't you don't have to include this in the cut if you don't want to. I don't care either way. What are they doing there? What do you mean? They they're, they're they raising cattle. Be growing anything? Oh yeah, there. cattle. It's cattle cattle If you want to see a good movie about cattle ranching, <laughs> that's the worst thing I've ever said. No, there's a the Howard Hawks movie called Red River with John. Oh yeah, that's a good John one. Wayne and Montgomery Cliff. It's okay. a great film. They move <laughs> run cattle from like Texas yeah. to Montana. Interesting. I, I was thinking that not everything they did was a success. Like when yeah. they're in the, the, yeah, the yeah. they tried Clearly, a bunch of stuff obviously. and they failed. At it. Right. I don't know. Well, I think it was also like in the like real history it was like, oh, you know, manifest destiny. Like you're gonna have land if you just go out there and like build a house and hold on to your cattle farm, whatever you're doing for a certain number of years, and like that's how white people moved across America. I'm not saying I don't understand why people went out west. Right. Oh, I just meant like that pers- that particular area didn't seem fruitful. So I didn't know why they were there. That's a good point. But also like the, the whole accuracy thing. Like I don't know. The whole film has one perspective of the native experience. So like the attack on the farm in the beginning is it's like the end of the world. You know, it's like the worst thing ever. But like who are we? Like, I don't, I don't really know what native attacks on settlers were like, and I, I can't, it can't be like, I don't think that unless they were provoked, like they didn't fuck with anybody, you know, like, like, so I don't know. It, it just seems it was just more for the narrative, like you know. So, so I read up on that because I was curious too. Um, and I think because there were these like Texas. Comanche wars going on it was I read this thing that described it as like this very intimate war because it really was like these settlers out there and just being like people's homes were burned they were killed or kidnapped and attacked because it was just kind of like these like warring parties going back and forth as white people were pushing further and further so I agree with you overall I think there's like obviously a lot of movies especially westerns that show native americans as just these like oh they're out why are they doing this they're just out killing people and so i think like overall that's certainly problematic and not that this movie is like trying to be super accurate but in the history of the time where i think you're supposed to think this is happening that was that to bring it back to jpk you mentioned red river the howard hawks film i i'm pretty sure it was after that movie when John Ford saw it, John Ford, who, of course, basically created John Wayne um, as the mythic character, you know, he was like, oh, so this guy can act. (laughs) Well, that's also got Walter Brennan. I love Walter Brennan. Yeah, yeah, that that movie's really good. John Ford, there's a uh, My Darling Clementine with Henry Fonda. And that's like one of the few Westerns where Walter Brennan is a bad guy. And it's kind of cool to see that. I'm a nerd. I love 
<laughs> I just finished reading this book called Inland that is it takes place in Arizona but around the same time period and it's people living in like super dry Arizona and trying to settle there and white people and Alicia like when you were like why I had the kind of the same thing like reading this book but it's really really good and I highly recommend it it's like a magical realism historical fiction book oh. it's really cool. good it's Taya Obrecht wrote it she also wrote The Tiger Wife which I guess was her first book that got yeah I haven't read that yet but I bought it recently to read but yeah Inland if you were like taken with the westernness of this movie and you are into magical realism I like magical realism I'm not I'm almost never taken with anything western <laughs> <laughs> except maybe California and like the coast and Oregon and but uh, like I actually I did really like Arizona when I visited it it's gorgeous it's a beautiful beautiful country but I'm not into I'm not into like the west as like the old the wild west and that kind of thing like that doesn't anyway you might not like yeah I love it I went to Tombstone I made um Martin oh yeah we went there too Arizona (laughs) (laughs) we have a picture yeah Yeah, it's actually on my wall (laughs) I love it. An old West clothes. Yeah, we did the old West clothes thing. <laughs> That's so fun. So what was everyone's favorite scene, moment, or other element of the film? I mean, I think the whole reading of the Will scene is pretty, it stays with me. But I also really like when the guys are fighting and Lori just is smiling. It just makes me... <laughs> 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 yeah. Close up yeah, on her face. So yeah. She's just like, oh, this is my wedding day. Drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Steven, how about you? I enjoyed a few of the scenes. I, I really liked how the movie started out with just in the house, but then when they went out to see what the, to assess the cattle range, and then you just saw like, you broke it into the sky and you could see, you know, the plane, uh, not the plane, but just everything it just you saw how expansive the world really was and it just is like wow they're really in the middle of of something it just looked really right you just got an expansive view of what the world was and then there was another scene i think when the cherokee battle was happening at the, or the the comanche battle was ha- comanche battle was happening and um the shots of the uh, the horses running and you could just tell like they're shot at the same speed so you're like wow they really had to work to get that scene together right Laura? You know, I talked about that last scene, the very last shot, which was so beautiful. But other than that, I really gravitated towards um, when Mose was involved, um, especially when they found him again. And Alicia? I really felt the anticipation, if, I don't know if that's the right word, but the like anxiety and the fear in the scene where the family was about to get attacked and the lighting is like this deep red blood and there's just this yeah like this palpable sense of dread and fear and that kind of I I really felt it I really felt it in the moment when I was watching it this time you have Mm -hmm. to watch priest though you have like at least the first the beginning of it just to see how much they stole it the cabin looks similar (laughs) it's amazing it's what they do I didn't realize like uh, how much is taken from these. Yeah. I mean, taxi driver, a lot of taxi driver is is basically this Mm -hmm. star Wars. That's amazing. It's so funny. Oh, star Wars has like both the, one of the best and one of the absolute worst 
references or homages. We've had enough nerd culture. You're cut off. Luke discovering his killed family in the first movie, a great version of an homage to this. But like the way in, in what is it, the third prequel where they have Anakin go back and slaughter the Tusken Raiders oh, yeah. and save his mother from the, it's just like, it's, there are certain shots that are just ripped completely from this movie and it's so unsubtle and just so on the nose and stupid. It's just a terrible sequence in the first place, even if it wasn't based off the searchers, but to have it be something that is lifted so whole cloth from this and does it so poorly and in service of something so dumb. Oh, fucking hate it. God, sorry. <laughs> Triple nerd stuff. I don't know if it's my favorite scene, but one that really caught me was at the beginning when the Reverend General and all the other men come to their cabin and uh, to say like, oh, the, these cattle have been stolen and we need to go out. And there's just like this shot for like, I don't know, a few minutes where and there's just so much going on. Like he keeps trying to talk and he keeps interrupting and the coffee's being poured and these people are talking yeah. over here and there's just all this activity. And I was like, whoa, like just thinking of like, you know, it just looks so good on the screen it's like a david russell film but, yeah but what had to like go into this you know yeah. and yeah. something that steven said brought up something else that i wanted to bitch about with this film um just real quick <laughs> the comanche were these incredible horse people so the concept that in that i think it's the first time they actually like face them and fight that the white people are going to just go across the river and somehow the comanche aren't just going to follow them across the river and yeah. it's like these five white men behind a log and there's like 25 30 40 it looks different in some of the different shots like so many comanche and like there's a shot like the white guys go across the river and then the comanches are following them and their horses like fall in the water and can't handle it i was just like <laughs> Oh my God, no. And like they completely rout them. And so while I think overall this movie does a really good job of showing like the dark side of this and subverting Westerns and all that kind of stuff, there was like moments like that in it where I was like, oh, but we're still like, you know, these five white guys can take on these like probably way better warriors and fighters in them. So anyways, I wanted to bring that up and I forgot. So thanks, Stephen, for reminding me of that. Yeah, thanks, thanks Stephen. <laughs> Another thing that grinds yeah. my gut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got a list. So I, I agree with Mia about that scene where they have the breakfast and all the stuff is happening. It's just a super impressive scene. But the, the stuff I wanted to call out was anytime they're all gathering on a porch to see what's coming, just put more of that into my fucking veins. That shit is the best. Like those low angle shots, they're just like these great shots that I just want to keep watching. And I can because Steven Spielberg does them in almost every movie and every fucking <laughs> director that he's been an influence on does it too. So anyway, I, I love those shots though. To your point about the, sh the shots on the porch, like there's this weird juxtaposition between like these large landscape shots that are all natural and very, but then like there's a couple like obvious soundstage which are just so like it's like those are the moments where I'm like oh man they couldn't they couldn't have just done this outside like you know but I guess it's the time but I saw a review from when the movie came out that based that said something to the effect of like some of these shots look like they could have been done inside a sporting goods store <laughs> like in the display window and i was like oh my god yeah. yes like wow and like damn way to be sassy in like the 50s um 
But yeah, I, I second that, JPK, for sure. <laughs> so um, do we feel like this movie stands the test of time? I feel like that's kind of what JPK. <laughs> that was my question. Us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. It's hard. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I guess it does, as long as you can provide the proper context mm-hmm. for it, and you don't just watch it thinking, "Yeah, wahoo, <laughs> this is great." <laughs> I don't know. Well, someone who watched it going in cold and just being so disturbed by what I saw. And then just being like, fuck, this is a good movie. I'm so mad at myself, but it's just good. It's just a good film. Yeah, I feel like I got something out of it when I was 10 and I got something out of it now. Uh, of course, <laughs> now I, you know, I have more context and more education as to you know, what the time was. So I feel like you can watch it and still actually understand it as long as you contextualize it. Actually, it's probably more important than ever to watch it and con- and contextualize it given what we're currently still dealing with in this country right now which is a shame it's a shame that it's still yeah. like yeah 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 i yeah. i think it lives up um i agree on the context i would love to see an opening title card or someone talking like how they have with gone with the wind now i think it needs it I think all of us mm-hmm. like think about these things, but not everyone does. Mm-hmm. And you might have, well, younger people are way yeah. more woke than us, but you know, I don't know. You might have someone watching it that doesn't have as much of a historical context or isn't didn't dig into it the way that we all just did because we're talking about this for a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the story in and of itself holds up. I don't necessarily think it's okay or it's right. And it's, there's a lot that's wrong with this film and upsetting, but as a structural film with three acts and, and it, I just think it gives you what you, you want, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know if a card is necessary, I guess, just uh, to, to think about that point. I think basically any Western before a certain year, which I'm not sure what year that would be, should probably have something on it that says like, by the way, the depiction of Native Americans in this film, pretty shitty. Um, like, I think it could at least use that. I don't think you need to have something. I don't think it needs to have something that necessarily spells out, hey, this main dude is a racist. Because I yeah. think if you watch it and like him, that's more on you being a dumbass in the first place than, um, I mean, not, like him and like agree with him. I mean, you can like him as a character who's compelling, but understand that he is very complicated and shitty. Um, you know, but I think the depiction of the Native Americans in this film and unfortunately most John Wayne films, I know he made Cheyenne Autumn later, which I have not seen, which I think is supposed to be even more so him trying to sort of course correct what he did. Um, I would be interested in watching that, but, um, yeah, most movies need that most Westerns, unfortunately. That's fair. That's a, that's in my opinion. Yeah, and I I think for me too, it's just hard to divorce it from the reality of like what Native Americans have experienced in this country and like very much continue to experience to this day. And I think that's why, especially with the the look character and how she's treated in the film, like like I said earlier, it was just hard when I think about like oh, there's like 
I think I was reading a statistic earlier that Native Americans are like, you know, point one, some very small percentage of the population, obviously, but are murdered at a rate of 10 times like what they should be. Um, and they're not reported. Yeah, right. And there's all the issues with like Native women, you know, in America, but like in I know in Canada, it's been a big thing the last few years. I mean, longer than that, but getting a lot of publicity the last few years of yeah. missing women. Um and, you know, just the the poverty rates for Native Americans. It was also like watching this, like where it was shot is where the Navajo Nation is today, who have just been like absolutely devastated by COVID. Like the only time Doctors Without Borders has been deployed within America was to go and respond to COVID there. So anyways, I just think all of those reasons and a thousand more are why I think there should be something at the beginning specifically about, yes, thank you for putting the point on that, specifically about the Native American portrayal in this film. Yeah, I think it's just, this is going to be like the most obvious thing that anyone could ever say, but we have to start seeing people around us as humans that have the same wants and needs and fears that you have, that your immediately immediate family has. And for some reason, that is a problem in this country right now. People just don't want to see each other or anyone that isn't someone that they know and love as like another full human person mm -hmm. with value. And I don't know what the, I don't know if this, I don't know if talking about these types of movies helps that, but I hope it does in some way. Yeah. Well, I think that's the central, or at least one of the, you know, he doesn't see the Comanche people or yeah. anyone who has lived with them or anyone who is maybe one eighth Native American as human. And just what you're saying, Alicia, I mean, people today don't see that of people with different opinions in them let alone yeah. different race i mean race is a construct anyways um but you know so uh laura picked our bonus question this time around so laura do you want to pose the question well yes um what's your guiltiest pleasure film the one you're embarrassed to admit which in this question was really hard for me actually because i embrace guilt <laughs> And pretension, and I watch films. So, so should I answer? Or am I? It's up to you. First? Call on someone or answer. It's up to you. Um. Well, I'll just go for it. Um, I thought a lot about this, and I was gonna say a film called Vibes from 1988 um, <laughs> with Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum <laughs> and Julian Sands and Peter Falk. But the truth is, it's just fucking great. Like, this isn't a guilty pleasure. This is a, one of my favorite films. And I will battle or, like, fight <laughs> till the death on that one. So I pushed it aside and I went with something that's more embarrassing to admit. And I went with 1985 American sports film called American Flyers. And it's got Kevin Costner and some other guy. And D, Ray <laughs> Don Chong. And it's um, it's a bike racing movie. And my sister and I used to watch this movie like almost every Saturday and we just watch it again and again. And with commercials, it would last like four hours and they rode the West. And Marie and I weren't allowed to learn how to ride bikes when we were kids. And even though we could still sort of ride, we just, neither one of us can turn. So it's just, this film was, I've never forgotten it. And I think it's just one of those classic sports structure films that's just so 
perfect and eighties and washed out and it's visual. It's just amazing. You got to watch it if you haven't seen it. What was it called again? It's called American Flyers. So I had trouble with this because I don't really think I have any guilty pleasure movies. Like to me, it's just you'd like a movie or you don't. I'm not really terribly embarrassed about liking something for the most part. And I guess I took the the guilty thing to mean what am I embarrassed about? So I tried to go that route. That's where I struggled with it. Right. There, There was a second where I was like, should I say like Woody Allen? But I don't think I'm going to have any pleasure from watching a Woody Allen movie anymore. So it's not a guilty pleasure for me. It's just like, fuck that guy. Um, I'm going to go with Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Huh. I love oh. that movie. And it's probably my favorite movie of the year that it came out. And I, I feel like I have to justify it almost so that like, I feel like there's some small level of embarrassment there for me more than other movies, but I think it's a really good movie. God, I hate like, that. That is so funny. Yeah, I liked it too, but I remembered how much you loved that movie, and I was like, I liked it, but you loved it. So like, I, I'm glad that you actually brought that up. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yep, I love that movie. Yeah. There's so many great elements to that movie, but to me, it just together it creates. It's just so fucking annoying. Like, I want to punch someone. This is why I feel and like I have to justify it. But yeah, like, I, I went and saw this. Hate it. And I don't think I've ever sat through a movie just like grinning ear to ear like I did for this movie. I was just like. (laughs) Does anyone anyone (laughs) else with me hate it? Great podcast right there. Um, Mia, come on. No, I like it. it. I mean, I I get it. It's a lot, but I like the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like I wouldn't want to like, I I get kind of overwhelmed sometimes when there's just like a lot of stuff going on in movies, um, which is definitely this movie. But I, Mm -hmm. I have enjoyed it the one time I have seen it, so. You want to go? Sure, I can go. So mine uh, is Love Actually. I'm not going to give any preamble. Um, <laughs> sorry, Alicia. Oh, well, I'm glad there's someone else because I felt really. Yeah. So at first, for some reason, I was thinking about this, like, what's your like comfort movie? And then I was like, oh, wait, but that's not what the question is here. So I was like, oh, a movie that I do really enjoy and have loved like since it came out like would watch it at the holidays my friends and I would all get together and watch it like quote it all the time my family loves it but like I'm sure there were people saying this when it came out but especially the last few years it has definitely become like this problematic story in many of the plot lines which I totally get and you know being a little older now I'm also like yeah it's like not like that good of a movie obviously but (laughs) I fucking love it. I think it's so funny. I love the, shut up, Jeremiah. Jeremiah hates it. I love it. I just think it's like so cute. They're British. The whole ridiculous thing about like what is going to be the number one song on Christmas? Like, is this a thing in England? I don't know because it's not a thing here. It kind of is. Is it? Okay, thank you. (laughs) But I just think like it has such a great cast. Like, I, I love it. And that's embarrassing. I feel like now I can't like scream my joy at the holidays when I'm like, it's love actually season. <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to Alicia so that we can just keep this going. Well, now I have to kind of think of a new one. Um, but no, I'm no, like pretty much. Yeah. Just talk more about same... love actually. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, that's just the same with me. It's just a movie that I like to watch at Christmas and I know it's problematic, but I root for the characters to fall in love with each other. And <laughs> I don't know. I just like it. But um, I guess my other answer would be, 
and it's not I'm not like really embarrassed about it but I do like rewatch the the last like four Harry Potter films a lot <laughs> even though I don't even though the third one in my opinion is the best one but just like given like all the the current stuff around the, the author, like, yeah. yeah that's there you know not that any of that bleeds into Harry Potter in any way I don't think but just like the, it's still like out there um and just you know it's wizards and which magic. one's your favorite the third one is my favorite but what's movie. the third one like what I'm the sorry Prisoner but... of Azkaban oh with Gary Oldman yeah, and uh, Quaron directed that one, and um, yeah. but I don't. I I do watch that one, but I would say I still more often go back to the last four, just just because like it. I like to like watch the story to the end first. Me too. <laughs> I always watch the Deathly Hallows Part One, mm. and I never mm. watch Part Two. Oh wow! I would go the opposite route if I was. Yeah, Part One always go gets for... me. Okay. They are coming. <laughs> the ministry is false. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about anymore. <laughs> Steven, how about you? I mean, everybody knows that I watch lots of lousy movies because I enjoy them. So it was really hard for me to find one that I actually was ashamed to admit. Um, but Tremors actually is my favorite Ooh, guilty pleasure oh, movie with Kevin great Bacon. Great answer. Michael, Michael Gross. It's a 1990 movie. It'll, it'll be on TV. I'll watch it till the end every single time. <laughs> I love that movie. There's no reason to be guilty about that movie. That movie is very entertaining. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. No guilt. Jonathan, how about you? Every time I went to the video store when I was a kid, I would rent this like every time. And um, Popeye, the Robert Altman. Oh my oh. God. <laughs> I love, I love that movie so much. I think it's brilliant and I know it's, a lot of people hate it, but like that's a great movie. And Harry Harry Nelson did the soundtrack, and you've got Shelley Duvall and Robin Williams' first movie. Everybody was on a lot of cocaine when they filmed it. <laughs> it's a great movie though. And I, and I love it. So our next episode is Steven's second pick. So Steven, do you want to remind us what that will be? Yeah, um, it's the general and it's starring Buster Keaton. And it's directed by Clyde Bruckman and Buster Keaton. It was released in 1926. And you can watch it on Amazon Prime or Canopy, Mubi, and other places with uh, subscriptions. Or you can rent it on Amazon or Google or Voodoo. I'm sure it's all over the place. And I'm looking forward to it. Me too. I'm excited. This is fun. Thank you so much for letting oh, me. Oh, thank you yeah, for thank joining. You, Thanks for coming. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I would never have watched this film ever oh, well. if it wasn't for your recommendation. That's it for this episode of Stereoactive Movie Club. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club. You can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com or you can send us a voice message on our show page at anchor.fm slash stereoactive movie club this podcast is produced by stereoactive media 